When a fellow believer shares his or her story with you, what grabs your attention? Are there certain themes you listen for? Are there commonalities amidst the diversity and complexity of our individual stories? Experiences that we share and that map onto a basic framework of understanding? I'm glad to welcome you as a listener to this podcast. I'm Mike Emlett, counselor and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF. In conjunction with the release of my new book, Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners, Loving Others as God Loves Us, you're about to hear a new podcast series during which I'll interview several of my colleagues at CCEF. During these conversations, we'll explore the intersection of three struggles common to each of us as believers in Christ. The first is the struggle to ground our foundational identity in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Who am I, really, and how do I live each day in light of that identity is a question we find ourselves revisiting often as believers. What does it truly mean to live as a daughter or son of our Heavenly Father, a saint who is secure in Christ. The second is the struggle with suffering. We all wrestle with various hardships and afflictions, whether they arise from bodily weakness, relationships, or the situational challenges of life, whether they be traffic jams, financial hardships, or pandemics. How do we draw near to God? who is an ever-present help in times of trouble. How do we help others do that? Third is the struggle with sin. We all wrestle with the evil that dwells within our hearts and erupts in words and deeds that harm others and ourselves. How do we reckon with the fact that, as the Apostle Paul says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me? How does God help us grow in holiness? Moreover, how do we speak wisely and winsomely to those mired in sin? As Christians, we share the experience of simultaneously being saints, sufferers, and sinners. Knowing one another and loving one another well requires that we attend to these three foundational experiences. So join me now in listening to Stories from Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners. Today I have the privilege of speaking with Miriam Herzog. Miriam grew up in the south of France as a child of missionary parents. She did her master's in counseling at Westminster Seminary, California. She works part-time at CCEF as the development coordinator and supporting church liaison. She is married to Andy and has three boys, age 15, 12, and 7. Pay attention to several things as you listen. Notice that no matter how a person comes to Christ, there is always a trajectory of growth in terms of how it looks to live out of that new identity in Him. We increasingly become who we really are in Christ over time in the midst of various relationships, locations, life situations, hardships, and sin struggles. Learning to live as a saint is a dynamic process right to this present day. Notice also the wonderful way that Miriam's son ministers to her and ask yourself, how might I encourage someone I love in a similar way? Lastly, I love the way the conversation ends with Miriam speaking honestly about how growth in Christ happens in the very ordinary stuff of life, things like house cleaning and how to move in to a new day with courage and faithfulness. Well, Miriam, I'm really thankful for the opportunity for us to, to talk with one another. Um, you're 
you were doing this inaugural podcast, and I'm really thankful for your your willingness to uh, to talk with me and uh, give me the opportunity and others to 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 know you uh, a bit more. So I'm really thankful for that. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for letting me a part, be a part of this. Sure, sure. I'd love to. I'd love to start off and just kind of get a just get a sense of your your story um, in in coming to the Lord. Like what. Um, how did you how did you come to know uh, Jesus? Okay, so um, I was raised in a Christian home um, by missionary parents, and so I grew up overseas in France, actually. Hmm. And so I was very blessed to have that kind of an upbringing. And my father taught at a seminary, um, and so he was always uh, teaching us a lot about Scripture as children. So I was very very blessed by that. Um, and a, I would say a very rich biblical and theological upbringing, really. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I was in French society and was making friends and um, I think was still trying to figure out how the faith of my parents would become my own, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. And um, I had been in a private Christian school, interestingly, that my parents helped found in France, in the south of France, and then in sixth grade or so, I transitioned to a private Catholic school, but I would say a lot of worldliness there and, you know, trying to figure out who I was and all the things that I guess normal preteens go through, Mm -hmm. I was going through it as well. And one of those is I got a little bit obsessed with this singer and um, was quite mesmerized by her and I had a big poster of her maybe a couple of posters, let's say, I don't know, uh, you know, hanging on the wall. And I think that was like really big in the in the 80s and 90s, I'm thinking. But anyway, uh, the posters on the wall and my oldest sister uh, came into my room one night and, you know, I, I was always very close with my sister and loved, loved her very much. But I think as she was watching me wrestling with you know, sort of this adulation of this singer really wanted to get to my heart and see what was going on inside. And so we had a fairly frank and honest conversation. I mean, I don't know if I welcomed it at first because maybe I felt like she was prying a little bit Mm. or trying to ask me, well, what's wrong? What's wrong Mm -hmm. with liking a singer? And look at her, isn't she cool? And whatever. So, and then, um, yeah. And then she had just this frank conversation and asked me what I believed and you know, I think there was some truth speaking that was that was needed. And uh, so I, I guess it, I was 11 and gave my life to Christ that night with her. And so I'd love to say that it was just, you know, <laughs> rainbows and butterflies after that, you know. But I think, uh, you know, as, as we know uh, from what the scripture says in Philippians, you know, he who started a good work will, will finish it. Mm. But I would say it probably honestly wasn't till my 20s that I really started to, I mean, there were some experiences along the way that uh, certainly deepened my faith, but I think as far as wrestling out my identity in Christ, probably, and really taking hold of of these truths and living them out, I would say probably not, I hate to admit that, but (laughs) probably not till my 20s or so um, when life start to get maybe a little tougher. I was away from my parents and Mm -hmm. figuring out life on my own and who I was. Again, you know, as I was saying to you about the faith of your parents, it's sometimes when you move away from parents and you realize who you are standing on your own two feet before Christ, that those realities can sort of take hold and Mm -hmm. take root in your life, uh, allowing you to wrestle out that with the Lord himself. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I would say about that. Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, you, you had this privilege of growing up in a, in a Christian household and hearing and seeing the gospel lived out. And then at 11, kind of a bit of a, a crossroads, but then later, you know, as, as life goes on, this, this sense of what does, it, what does it mean to live increasingly out of, you know, an identity in, in Christ. Can, can you talk about how that, you, you referenced your 20s in terms of how did that start to go deeper? You know, this, this sense of this is who I am um, in, in mm. Christ and what are the implications of that for my day-to-day life? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, in my 20s, I was landed with some really difficult jobs, uh, some jobs that I literally had no 
probably no training for and no experience with. Um, I had by that point a, uh, a degree from a seminary, but I essentially ended up in secular social work going mm. into homes that were, uh, there was, it was volatile, let's put it that way. You never knew what to expect. I was working with troubled teens and their families, uh, teens dealing with truancy. And so I had to keep very detailed case notes of all these, you know, situations, families felt a lot of pressure on me, uh, both from my boss and from, there was a contract essentially with various school districts. So I'd be dealing with uh, principals, I'd be meeting with individually with a student in school, meeting with a family in home, doing behavioral treatment plans with them. Uh, then sometimes I would be going to court with families mm. due to the absences with truancy. And I just remember this, this sense of being utterly overwhelmed mm. with the gravity in some ways of the situations I was dealing with. And in a way, I guess my helplessness uh, to provide ultimate answers. Many of these folks, you know, didn't walk with Christ, unbelieving families, unbelieving situations. And so, yeah, I, I really felt that I needed the Lord. And I was also, interestingly, taking CCF classes at night. Hmm. So it was it was an odd kind of a, an experience to, yeah, have this wonderful, rich, you know, teaching and biblical counseling at night and then have to go out and do secular social work, wasn't really able to talk about my faith. Hmm. Uh, so that was that was tough. But I think the rootedness in Christ really, uh, I would say it took hold then. Um, mm -hmm. Who am I and how can I help these families? How can I be the aroma of Christ walking into homes? I, one specific example that actually really was a story that was life-changing for me was coming into a home where uh, the, there was so much squalor decomposing trash, urine, um, you know, boxes of food and takeout that just everything was literally mm -hmm. the, the trash was halfway up the wall mm -hmm. uh, in the home. And, and as I was in one of the family sessions, a roach crawled up my leg. And I'm like, you know, trying to very cautiously, like, you mm -hmm. know, on the on the slide trying to kick the roach off my leg whilst not making them feel bad that their house looks like a dump and probably they should be evicted and all this stuff. They were actually like a very sweet, loving family dealing with grief and dealing with hardship. But so I would obsessively rub these dryer sheets on my clothing before I would go into this house so that the bugs wouldn't crawl up on me. But I remember it became this, this image for me as I sat outside the house of this, you know, this particular family, knowing I have to go into this house I would say, but this is what my heart looks like. Mm -hmm. This squalor, this, I mean, I might be able to, you know, tidy up the outside and make myself look nice, but mm -hmm. my heart looks just like the mess that I'm seeing in this house. And so it became this beautiful picture that God used in my life that really kind of dovetails with everything that CCF teaches and is about is dealing with my heart. Mm -hmm. And so... I don't know if I'm answering your question, Mike. I, can, yeah. I know I've taken us yeah. a little far afield, but uh, that was that was very formative for me in claiming identity with Christ, remembering who I am, uh, and being able to be used even in the midst of challenging situations. I think there. Yeah, that's that's really helpful to to hear just how again God used you're you're aware and know that you're uh, that you're in Him, um, but your experiences in this case of, of suffering and, and being overwhelmed or being in the midst of another's suffering, um, just recognizing your neediness, your dependence uh, on Christ and where that, where that stems from, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, ultimately Him. Uh, your security is in Him. Your need for Him uh, is, is there. Um, so that's, that's And one really more helpful. thing, Mike, if you don't mind, yeah. I think I, I probably should have uh, spoken to it earlier, but is when we moved from France when I was 13, that was certainly the most uprooting, difficult experience of my life to date. And so identity in Christ was also something God worked on heavily at that point, because 
I think all of us as human beings, we want to feel at home. We want to feel comfortable somewhere. We want to feel that we belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. So for me, the what I would call the uprooting and the rerooting uh, was very, very difficult. In fact, I've said to good friends, I really don't think my sense of self truly became stable until much later in life because of the culture change. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt like everything that was me in the first 13 years, I had to try to figure out what the new me was in a new culture. Yeah. And so that relates to faith as well because faith mm-hmm. and faith traditions are practiced differently in different cultures. So it, it is it is very interesting to me that the fact that I w- happened to be in a school where things didn't go so well for me and I was kind of bullied and I look back now and I realize it actually was bullying. I don't think my parents realized it. I don't think I realized that that's what you would kind of call it. But yeah, it was a, a very tough time because I didn't have any friends and I cried mm-hmm. a lot and I felt very lonely. But this sense of realizing Christ is my true home and heaven is the home mm-hmm. that I I, even if I don't long for it as much as I should, it is my longing. And so that was also quite formative, the culture, you know, cultural experiences. And I think now, by God's grace, because of what I went through, you know, I tend to be drawn to the person in the room in any social gathering who just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they're having a hard time, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe they, you know, somebody who has an accent or somebody who who, you know, who's dressed kind of funny and you're wondering, okay, something's going on there or, you know, or they come in and they seem disoriented and it tends to be the one I want to go talk to and figure out that story. What's going on? Tell me about yourself, you know? So anyway, that's part of the story, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're highlighting, Miriam, how just, yeah, it's so, it's obviously a very hard thing, right? To be a shifting culturally, new schools, uh, being on the receiving end of bullying, those are those are really hard things, and there's such a temptation, I'm sure, in the midst of that, to want to grab onto some identity. But you were saying, no, this is actually helping me root, you know, my my identity in Christ. He's my he's my true home. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, neat. How how would you say maybe even today, um, bring us up to the present in terms of what does it look like for you kind of each day to say, okay, how do I, how do I live out of my identity in Christ? Um, what does it mean today? We're recording on a Friday at midday that I'm a person in Christ. How does it impact, give us a window in terms of how it impacts day-to-day, day-to-day life for you right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and I wanted to mention, Mike, you know, um, recently, a, a couple of days ago, you put out an open letter to a discouraged saint, and I know this is relating to your book um, that has just been published, but um, I just sent that today to somebody, and I mean, honestly, that, that letter is so comforting to me and encouraging to me in remembering the truths of who we are in Christ, and so... I, I think I find myself blessed in knowing that God is working in and through the particular package that he's put together, meaning my sins and sufferings or my struggles might be different from yours, Mike, or somebody mm-hmm. else's, but because he's so sovereignly ordaining all of it, I can walk confidently ahead because I know all these things have already been done for me in Christ. Uh, my mom would say to me as a kid, kind of like paraphrasing the richness of, of Ephesians, that since Christ has already prepared the works ahead of me for me to walk in, and he's preparing me for the works, that I don't need to live in anxiety and fear or uh, this sense of regret or shame or guilt. Of course, you confess sin and you deal with it and you, you sort of do your best every day to keep claiming those promises. but what a freeing notion that he's already prepared those Mm -hmm. things ahead of me. And so I, I, and we've been dealing a lot actually with this in our Bible study right now, talking about identity in Christ. And, um, and it's been encouraging to, to wrestle it out with the women that so often our problem is sort of amnesia. It's like we Mm -hmm. forget as Christians who we are 
you know, like Jack Miller would say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Mm -hmm. And it, it's hard work to do that because I think sometimes as horrible as, or strange as it might sound, it's kind of easier to punish yourself and you do a woe is me cycle and, mm -hmm. oh, I should have done this or if I had just done this. But of course that puts the power right back in, in yourself as if you yeah. have the power to change yourself or as if, if you had done it better, the outcome would be different. Well, not necessarily, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that's, it's hard work, I think, to keep going back to those promises and mull, you know, sort of mm -hmm. mull in yeah, them. Yeah, kind of marinate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's hard work to do. Um, but I think getting back, I mean, many listeners would probably be familiar with, you know, the Jack Miller Sonship, you know, materials, but to remember that we are sons and not orphans. And, you know, I think a lot of sins and struggles come when we aren't owning that identity every day and reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. And, and you know, you need other believers. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you get kind of right. the blinders on and it can, you need to sometimes ask another believer, I'll do that, I'll say, hey, have you seen any progress in me lately? Because I just feel so discouraged with this area of my life. And they'll say, no, I, I do, I see. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's, that's helpful right. to ask that question, I think. And I'm, I'm trying to do that too, mm -hmm. instead of just going into the processes of my brain or yeah. my thoughts, if that makes sense. So. Oh, it does. And it, it, you're, you're also highlighting, just to, I mean, sometimes this, this place of um, rooting our identity in Christ, we, we know it and we understand it, but it can feel very general or abstract. And you're, you're highlighting some of the, the very tangible aspects of, you know, of that, you know, talking to someone else in terms of where, where do you see Christ at work in my life? Um, or, you know, re remembering that everything that I'm doing today, God has been, God has prepared uh, for me to do. So he's, he's with me. He's, it's not just you're, you're in the family. See you later. Like it's, I'm with you. I'm walking with you in the very steps of your, of your day. Hmm. So yeah, thank, one of the yeah. neatest, yeah, Mike, one of the neatest things that happened to me and from Mother's Day is our oldest son wrote me a letter and told me all the ways he'd seen me grow during quarantine. Wow. I was like, oh, wow. So it just was like, I mean, he, he's gifted with words and, and, and compassion, and he likes mm. to speak and build up and encourage, which that's just a gift God's given him. Mm. But I just, I marveled. I thought, how can you see that and say it, and that's on your heart? And so it just, it, it is, to me, it's mind-boggling. And, and I guess it's also a reminder God knows what I need. And mm -hmm. those those words were given to me and they truly built me up and they kept me going on the journey. Because as for many mm -hmm. people during pandemic season, it's been so like grueling just every day and is yep. sort of a, you know, it feels like, you know, in some ways the repeat of the last, but then you're also saying, no, Lord, this day mm -hmm. is your day. You've made it. So I, I want to be faithful to you. And I don't just want to stagnate. I want to grow. So anyway, that was just a, a real blessing. Um, oh. And it reminds me I need to bless others, too, when I see good things in them. No, don't just keep that to myself, but tell them what I see. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was an incredible gift to you from, you know, from your son as he's ministering to you in that, uh, in that moment. And it's, a, yeah, paradigmatic for what are we noticing uh, in, in the lives of other yeah. people. You yeah. a, a little bit ago, you were referencing some of the some of the suffering that you've um, that you've experienced. Um, could you talk about um, how you know a time when someone ministered to you well in the midst of of your suffering? Someone reached yeah. out to you, stewarded your your story, your your suffering, your affliction in a way that was like this this really brought health and goodness to me. This this mm. really was the aroma of Christ. Mm. So I can think of two people um, who most most ministered to me and one whose sufferings really far, far outweigh outweighed mine. Uh, she's actually passed away, uh, sadly, but she was kind of like a spiritual mother to me and um, she had chronic health problems, and um, but I've honestly never, almost in my entire life, met someone who, who knew so well how to sit with with somebody and hear 
attentively and not judge and um, ask fabulous questions, but also bring needed comfort. And I was so moved that she, in the midst of so much physical pain, but also so much emotional pain she was in, could love that way. Mm. So her favorite verse, you know, was the Second Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. Mm. And that's also become very much a life verse for me that as I watched her receiving comfort from Christ in the midst of excruciating pain and a lifelong struggle um, with a diagnosis that was so difficult for her to deal with that had so many physical implications for her for daily living that she could out of that minister to others. So she she's actually the one who pursued me. She would mm. pick up the phone and call me and ask me how I was doing. And uh, so coming into her room was like being almost like being in a garden with Jesus. You just felt yeah. like you could sit and, and mm. smell, you know, the aroma mm. of the beauty that he'd made for you. Mm-hmm. And yet like you could cry and like Jesus was sitting with you and you could cry with him and you knew you were safe. And so that was, she was one person the Lord greatly used. And I would say that any, anything good that almost anything good that I can offer today I kind of learned a lot at her feet, uh, which I'm so grateful for. And the other friend, uh, she and I both had struggles with a child who was, you know, going through a lot. And so when I was going through some struggles with our son, uh, who was basically going through some rages and he was going through school refusal, I felt like I could go to her and, and never got any of the pat answers or the, I often struggle with people making promises to me that not even the scripture makes. Mm. So I, I, I think it is hard for people to offer good counsel because it, you don't want to offer these, these things. Maybe the Lord will not take that suffering away. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's actually going to get harder. Right. So I think she was always able to receive the, the struggle, to have true compassion, to always pray, and to remind me of God's love without judgment. And I think she accepted, and this is what I really loved, is that she accepted the unfinished business, kind of, that was Mm, happening in the moment. She accepted that this is a work in progress, and she didn't have the answers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have answers for her, honestly, on some of the things that we were going through together. Mm -hmm. But we knew that our hearts had been, you know, yoked together in Christ, and that this was a journey that He would get us through, and that He would encourage us you know, through the friendship with one another. And that honestly, you know, it, it's kind of like the C.S. Lewis and the Four Loves, you know, friendship is your, you know, your side by side, journeying together, mm-hmm. yeah. looking at Christ. And and that is just one of the most beautiful loves of all, to have a dear friend who, who joins you in it mm-hmm. and doesn't, isn't patronizing, isn't promising things that God doesn't promise. And that lets the timeline really be God's mm-hmm. and not our own. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like she was comfortable with herself being in process and her own relationship before the Lord in her own particular constellation of, you know, sufferings. And for you as as well, that that she wasn't she wasn't jumping the gun, she was hearing the struggle, but she and speaking things that were encouraging, but not this overly optimistic, oh, it's all gonna be okay. Um so she, in that sense, was walking, as you said, with you and alongside you. And this, you, you know, as you as you talked about this, you 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 also intimated that, yeah, there are times that we we don't do so well in terms of ministering uh, to people who who are suffering. Could have there been times where you you haven't been ministered to? well uh, in in the midst of suffering, where it wasn't a comfort, a consolation, where it didn't really point you to uh, to hope in, in Christ? Yeah, I mean, I think I can think of two things here. Um, well, I think first, personally, I think what I'm sharing with somebody who is clearly uncomfortable with the angst of what I'm sharing often their responses come from that place. They're not comfortable themselves and they don't know what to say. And so Mm. they tend to say something that's unhelpful. And so 
I don't think that's upsetting to me, you know, because I can kind of see that person is, they're struggling too with it, or they haven't been modeled this kind of compassionate entering in. I think we sometimes take that for granted at CCF because we're talking this kind of language all the time and we, we live it and we study it and we breathe it, so to speak. But there are Christians who haven't really modeled or have, there are Christians, excuse me, for whom this has not so much been modeled to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were raised with a, you know, stiff upper lip, you know, mentality or a grin and bear it, or Mm -hmm. you should never say anything hard about what's going on in your life, or that's, you know, those folks, it's very hard for them to enter into the struggle itself, you know? So if I say, hey, I have, I have this thing coming up and I really would like prayer, I'm really nervous, and somebody says, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's... Not helpful. How, how many times has that been said to us? Mm-hmm. Because then you're saying, I'm worried, and you receive the advice, don't be worried. Right. And you'll be fine. Again, what if you aren't fine? What, if, right. you, what if you totally mess it up? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like... You know, that that kind of stuff gets offered all the time, just in the culture abroad. Or you got this. It's kind of like, well, do I got this? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't feel like I got it at all. The yeah. person who's got it is God. But, yeah. you know, it, there are lines, of course, that are that are not helpful. But I think at a deeper level, and this isn't so much my story, is one just that my, my parents went through. They, uh, my older sister is deaf, and she was born deaf. And so uh, there were some folks around my parents at the time who, you know, they were, I guess, asking them to pray for healing for her. But I think also we're saying, you know, if you have greater faith, Hmm. then she will be healed. Um, So, you know, of course, she's not been healed. I say, of course, I guess she could have been healed, but she, that was not God's plan. And so it kind of makes me think of the story, you know, in John 9, the Pharisees are looking at the the blind man and saying, who sinned, you know, this man or his parents? And, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus, you know, so basically astutely says, no, it's, it, it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so I think that that has been a beautiful thing for me to remember with my older sister and with anybody who has especially chronic suffering or pain that has not been taken away uh, you know, you think of a Johnny Erickson Tata and, and folks like that whose entire lives actually mm-hmm. have become this place where God's glory has been displayed. The mighty works of God have been displayed. And maybe those works would not have been displayed had it not been for the suffering itself. So obviously that was a very unhelpful thing that was said to my parents. Mm-hmm. And because they had a, a solid grounding in the character of God and his sovereignty and the place of suffering that didn't deter them so much. But I do mm-hmm. feel sad for those who don't have that mm-hmm. and then who work themselves into or try to work themselves into some kind of, you know, OCD religious experience of prayer. So that if they just pray harder and if they yep. just try harder, then God's going to give them what they want. And then, you know, we know many Christians who are struggling like that. And so mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers the question, Mike. Oh, absolutely. And and you're, you're highlighting how that even... If, if things don't go that way, like if we grab hold of promises or, or um, assurances that God himself may not have made and, and it doesn't happen, then it adds sorrow upon sorrow. There's just now new layers, new layers of suffering. And we, you know, we, we, because we, we love people, we want to, we're, we're tempted to, you know, basically say, I, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life and this is and but we we don't know what the Lord may be may be up to in their lives. So you're just highlighting the wisdom we need as we as we approach the suffering. How um what I mean what's um what scriptures have the, has the Lord used for you in the midst of your suffering? What have what's become precious to you? And again, even in what we were just talking, like as we as we share scripture with one another, we want to be—we want it to be a word in season. We want to be wise in the way we we do that. Um, but what what's been helpful to you from scripture, either from your own study or you know, in something that um, someone has said to you in the midst of your suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think as I was referencing the Second Corinthians one three to five, that's something I. I prayed over our son when he was struggling because 
when I flash back to the time, you know, in high school when I was being bullied, I had no idea that because of that suffering as a teenager, and actually I had 10 years later had the opportunity to minister to suffering teens in a public high school. And it was unbelievable to remember, wow, you brought me through the suffering, Lord, so that I would be able to understand the sufferings of others. So that passage, I've been praying over our son, and I'm starting to see some of that come true, Mm. that he really does have a compassionate heart for those who are suffering the same comfort that Christ ministered to him in times of sorrow and hardship he is now able to minister to others Mm -hmm. and he's done that for me and so that's certainly one i think during this past year you know in pandemic season and quarantine it's really galatians 6 9 do not grow weary you know in doing good for in due season you'll reap if you don't give up and Mm. so now i realize sometimes mike that that verse maybe for some can feel like this, I have to do good, I have to do good, I have to do good, I don't want to grow weary in doing good. And that's, but somehow for me, it was just, of course, that's not, that's not what Paul's saying. But I think for me, it was this sense of, Paul knows you will grow weary. Mm -hmm. But remember that as you grow weary, and you're restored in Christ, he's using your imperfect efforts to bring about good and then due season you'll reap the fruit mm-hmm. maybe not even this side of heaven i mean there might be a family member that you've been witnessing to for three decades and they have not come to christ well it's possible that someday they will maybe they won't but mm-hmm. it doesn't make your witness any less uh true to mm-hmm. what god wants for you it doesn't mean that that effort is any less good so i think for those of us who are parents at home with children working all in each other's space, trying to figure out how to do life in the new normal, which for many of us this past year has been a very weird new normal. Mm -hmm. I think there's a sense in which these works that are small works, they feel like very small works, right? Um, You're serving lunches to your kids, you're cleaning up after them, you know, you're, you're, you know, all the various things you're doing to keep your household running and things like that but they're good works that God sees and he knows. He knows the pressure cooker that so many families have been living mm-hmm. under. And he's well aware of the the effort it is every day to do all these things unto the Lord and to not grow weary. So for me, at least that, that passage in Galatians has just, it's up on my wall and it's up on the third floor, what used to be my kid's playroom, but you know, they're a little older now. And so I'm very grateful they've given up part of their playroom for me to have an office and that, that in and of itself to mm-hmm. me is is a is just a blessing to know that that now mom and dad are working up on the third floor, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it's just it's sweet. So that's great, and so, and something that's so important to keep before us as we as we go into each day, like what what would it look like for me to be faithful today, Lord, just doing the the, the small things that you've that you've called me to do. Help me, help me not to be weary. In the in the doing of those, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How, we talked about how you know we can we've experienced um, either being on the receiving end of good, helpful counsel in the midst of our suffering, or not so good, and and we've been there too ourselves. I'm sure on the giving end, both both ways. Uh, but what about um, for issues of um, of sin? you know, in, in your life. Can you talk about times where someone spoke well and winsomely to you regarding, uh, regarding issues of, uh, of sin in your life? You, you highlighted earlier how important it's, uh, the other people are in our process, whether it's with suffering or in this case with, you know, with, our, with our growth in Christ and obedience. Can you talk about um, Instances like that where someone spoke wisely and winsomely to you about your sin. Yeah, I'd be happy to share about that. Um, It was actually in college. um, There was a gal I I had done a study abroad program with her. We were both part of a Christian college, and yeah, we went abroad to study. And so 
you know, she saw me pretty up close and personal for a number of months. And, um, and it just was so amazing. She was able to come and speak to me about an area that she saw in my life that really wasn't glorifying to God. And it was kind of how I judged people based on, um, I guess, their outward appearance. Hmm. And I, I would say critical and judgmental things about others. Um, and so, yeah, of course, it was hard to receive at the moment because you know, it's embarrassing. Somebody's calling you out on something and yet mm-hmm. it, it was a struggle. And I think because I grew up in a culture that did prize appearance, um, you know, you didn't go out the house as a woman unless you were dressed dressed for the day. And, and you know, you would never wear, even here to, to this day in the U.S., I'm like, wow, people are wearing sweats, like yoga pants, and they're out in public. Like, what are people thinking? At least they're on, like, at least they're on a nicer shirt or a scarf. Like, what you know, it, it's yeah. just a culture. I think some yeah. of it's a cultural thing. Um, but, yeah, then it became part of a sin pattern with me. And then she had the courage to call it out. She just, you know, she said, basically, I, if I recall, just something like God calls us to look at, you know, at the, at the inward of God, God looks at the heart. And so we should not, you know, you know, he doesn't look at the outward appearance. So we ultimately should not judge people based on their outward appearance. So I think just to think of the courage that it took her mm-hmm. to come and speak to me, it's just so amazing and so humbling. And it gives me courage too. Um, just when there's somebody else that might be struggling to, you know, to go to them one-on-one if you feel the Lord is calling you to do that with them because it really changed my entire life, what she did. Mm-hmm. I think the Lord reoriented me after that point so that now it's just not really so much of a struggle anymore. It's not as if I don't see the outward appearance. Mm-hmm. In fact, my young one of my sons and I had a really interesting conversation about this the other day. We were talking about the role of working out and being in shape and you know we were talking about the gym and you know all these things and how you know I called it the COVID-19 pounds because we're probably going to be gaining some weight here <laughs> sitting around yeah. and um, and he just said but mom why does it really matter what you look like on the outside because God is about our souls so why mm. we can't take these bodies with us to heaven why does it really matter so we got into this discussion about it which is a really good discussion about how to care for the body and the body, the temple, the Holy Spirit, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But of course, to judge somebody based on the body and the outward appearance is wrong and sinful. So I just feel like it's the courage that she had to then affect, by God's Spirit, such a change in me. And I I do love people so much. It's just, I just love people. I don't know, it's just how God's made me, I guess. It's not that I don't struggle with people, as we all do. But I feel drawn now. Mm-hmm. A person walks into the room, and regardless how how they look, I don't know what happened. Did God just retrain my brain? I don't know. Mm. But it's just not as much of a struggle now. And because I think He knew I did love people and I wanted to minister to them and know them, but that was that was a hurdle. That was an obstacle in the way that really needed to get knocked down. So by His grace, it's been somewhat knocked down, and hopefully continues to be. So. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the answer to that one. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that helps. That's really neat. I mean, th- that uh, that dear woman loved you well, and, and you're right. It, it required courage to to come to you, risk possibly, right, in terms of your relationship, and and yet what a what a moment, you know, for the she, the spirit used her words in your life in a very in a very powerful way. That's that's resulted in a a ripple effect in your life over the over the years to the to the present day so that's that's really neat yeah yeah for sure how how about the again how about the converse of that um can you talk about talking about um an occasion when someone challenged your sin but it was not it was not helpful it was not it was not winsome and and why and why was it not helpful So I think in certain forms of counseling that I've received in the past, um, there was too simplistic a view of sin. And so it became behavior modification Mm -hmm. a la Christian version where we kind of go and, you know, try to uh, do all these things to almost, it somewhat feels like you're, I don't want to say do penance, but you're kind of, okay, well, let's go correct that and go do a whole bunch of good things and let's, 
you know, or just the fact that sometimes sin has these motivations that we're not aware of. And this is why I, lo I love this ministry so much. I'll give you an example of an area that is kind of suffering in sin, but I think I'm starting to see it more as suffering mm -hmm. that has sinful consequences, let's put it that way. Yeah. I am not a great housekeeper. I struggle a whole lot to keep the house clean. I was raised in a home that was generally just kind of a little more messy, seven kids. Mm. And it was like either my mom was going to run it with like Von Trapp with the whistle and we were all going to be lined <laughs> up or it was going to be a little bit all over the place, which, you know, we had the ladder, the all over the place. But mess just doesn't really bother me that much, physical mm. mess, because I grew up that way, because I'm a little all over the place. But I married a man who who really likes things to be tidy and orderly. And it's easy for us to judge one another based on mm. our upbringings or mm. what we define to be the right way to do things. But for years, honestly, I beat myself up over this mm. area of the house. Some of it at times was sinful. He would have wanted me to make more efforts and I just kind of threw in the towel because I just thought, well, I'm not very good at this and I can't do it. And I just kind of didn't do it. And that was, that was sinful. I could say even rebellious at times and he's, he's forgiving and gracious. Um, but then I think it was a good friend who said to me, you know, because I kept saying that, it, that I'm just, oh, I just feel so bad. I'm so terrible. Why can't I do this? You know, why can't I, I make my husband happy? It's just causing so much tension mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. And she, I just was beating myself up essentially. Yeah. And she said to me, you know, I think you're really afraid I think you are so afraid of this housework. I think you're afraid of failing. You're afraid of not being like so-and-so or Susie Homemaker that you have this ideal you mm. have in your head or other women whose houses you walk into and you're like, wow, that's so incredible, look at this. So she said, you really need to start arming yourself in the power of prayer and get in that kitchen and pull, you know, pull your sleeves up and pray, pray for courage. Hmm. Pray that you will not be tempted to despair over this area that is a struggle for you that has suffering and sin both involved, I would say. And cry out to him for courage uh, to stop the voices of condemnation and shame mm -hmm. and to have godly courage. Yes, you can clean this kitchen. Now, sure, there's there are certain things you can do. My boys laugh at me because I set timers you know, let's do 30 minutes on the kitchen. Let's do 30 minutes on the house. Why do we need a timer? I mean, they say to me, why can't we just do it until it's done? Well, because there's a goal. There's a deadline. Anyway, so there's <laughs> tricks, you know, stuff yeah. like that you can do. But I think for me, it was a heart struggle of fear. Mm. And once I saw the issue was fear, it has changed. Interestingly, conversely to the story we just told, you know, yeah. about sin, you know, and Ed has written an article about you know, fear is not sin. And, and I think that's helpful to people because in a place, it, as you were saying earlier about sorrow upon sorrow, I think you can heap so much upon yourself in an area where you're weak. Maybe your upbringing didn't really help you in that way. Right. And then you're kind of here you are as an adult, say in your 40s or 50s, you're still struggling with the same pattern. You haven't made so much headway. And you're like, what is wrong with me? So yeah. I think that was... That is another one that is changing, mm -hmm. genuinely changing, is mm. that because the heart's been addressed, because I'm asking the Lord for help with fear and to shut out those voices of condemnation or some ideal mm -hmm. I'm trying to live for, I'm seeing change. Yeah. And so it's it's very different. Yeah, that's uh, that's so interesting, right? That, that you're, you're highlighting so many different layers of that. What on the surface is just a simple... Do I, do I keep a cleaner house or not, right? Like it's a, just a very simple question, but you're highlighting all kinds of layers. Like, okay, well, what does it mean that my husband and I are different? And what does, what does love look like for him? But then how am I importing particular standards that, uh, that, I, that have become a, yeah, just this burden, this yoke of slavery. And then, and then this fear piece, right? In terms of, oh, that actually is really central. And having faced that deeper heart fear, it's, it's, you know, it's been kind of a catalyst for, uh, for growth in this area. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just, yeah, 
multifaceted, even, you know, these, these simplest things. How, so as we move, as we move toward closing, let me, let me ask you this question, like kind of present day, and, and we've touched on at present day at, at various points throughout, throughout our conversation, but what, what would you say the Lord is at work right now doing? Like what, you know, might say, what's the cutting edge of growth, but cutting edge sounds like so big, like, oh, wow. Um, but I, I think I mean that more in terms of where do you see the spirit at work now? What's, what's he putting his finger on? What's life look like in Christ today for, for Miriam Herzog? <laughs> well, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, it's a hard question. I think, I know it, it, I don't know what you think about this, Mike, but I think a lot of it starts, I'm not a morning person. I struggle a lot in the morning. I keep hoping that someday, I don't know, this, this heaven on earth is going to happen. I'm going to wake up one day and suddenly be a morning person. I don't think it's going to happen. But um, I, <laughs> Maybe I, in heaven. Maybe in heaven. Yeah, here. there you go. It'll be interesting to see what heaven's like. Are we going to have morning and night people since Jesus Christ is morning and night? I don't know. We'll see. He's the light and day. Um, yeah, I, I think for me it starts literally when I'm waking up out of bed and I have to cry out to, to God almost as soon as I'm taking the covers off. I'm saying, God, help me. Mm. Help me today because in my flesh, I don't feel like taking on this day. I want to go back to bed. I don't want to go help the kids downstairs. I just want them to fend for themselves. I know that's so selfish. I, I just, yeah, and I have to cry out, Lord, help me. Help me to have courage to take on this day. Use me in my weakness. Use me in my struggle, um, in my imperfect ways. Use me because I want to be used by you. I really do. Mm. And I think some of it is... So that's, that's where it starts, you know, is, is in the morning crying out to the Lord that this day, it's his day. I want to use it for him. And I think too, for me, Mike, it's been areas of personal discipline. Of course, that's the hardest part of Christian living is personal discipline and obedience in areas where, you know, it's easy to, even, in, even as Christians and in the church, to just veg out. You've had a long day, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for you. For me, it was Netflix for a while and just stay up too late and watch shows that were kind of, eh, you know, borderline. And, but then I started to think, you know, what I'm feeding myself at night through these shows, which, you know, I mean, some of them were, were okay, I guess, but it was more, I'm not really being productive here. And on top of that, usually staying up too late uh, and really not, it's, I think what it does is it just puts you in neutral. You know, you're not ready to go. You're just in neutral. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, we know that God spits out the lukewarm. So it's kind of like, you know, we don't we don't want to live in a lukewarm place. And if we're not feeding ourselves, if we're not doing things that really are productive and beneficial for our souls, we kind of, to me, I, I think we tend to hang out in neutral and then we're unproductive. So it it's funny because some of it is actually not even necessarily biblical disciplines, but I've been I have a puzzle that I do every Christmas. It's a thousand piece puzzle and uh, I am so bad at it. I mean, it's, I enjoy something that I'm so bad at um, and others will come in and in a few few minutes they've put whole, you know, whole parts of the, of the puzzle together. But I will sometimes do the puzzle and pray. I know, sounds silly. Pray that God will help me do the yeah. puzzle yeah. unto him for his glory because mm. I find it so rewarding. I like puzzles. It's, it's a puzzle. It's fun. You know, you, you get to, it's like, I don't it's know, it's hard. like a dope, yeah. it, and it's, it's hard, yeah. and it feels like a dopamine hit every time you're like putting a piece together. I found together. that piece, yes. Yes. Um, but it is, you know, I really, I heard, um, I heard a quote that said something like, I don't know if it's the problem with, with modern people today or children today, I don't know what, but it was, they consume more than they create. Hmm. That has hmm. really helped me both in my parenting and in my hobbies. Hmm. How am I creating? Hmm. So if yeah. I can cook a beautiful meal, even if it's not like a great meal, I'm creating. If I am singing or if I'm, I'm part of a singing group, I had to create a, a virtual project, you know, a couple, you know, a month ago, super hard, worked my tail off, but we were creating and the puzzle was creating. And so I think 
that beautiful image of God identity that we have is that we are creative like God. So I think we can think about that as ministry too. What does it mean mm-hmm. in my church for me to minister in a creative way mm-hmm. where I'm using my gifts, where I'm asking my pastor, hey, what are the needs out there? How can I help the church? Let me do something, you know, that kind of thing. So that's been helpful. The self-discipline of doing a hard thing just for the goal of of trying to do it unto the glory of God mm-hmm. and not taking an attitude of, oh, I'm tired, I'll vegetate or does that make sense? It does. And just, uh, yeah. And even the the simple but difficult first morning awakening, what am I going to do, you know, with this, with this day? Will I do it in him and for, for his glory? So, yeah, again, uh, thank you for, yeah, such a multifaceted answer to that question, right? It's not just one thing that the Lord is, is up to in our lives. You just highlighted so many different places where, where the Spirit's at work. So I'm, I'm really grateful for, for the time uh, to talk with you, Miriam. I feel like I had this privilege of standing on holy ground with my sister. Oh. And I'm just, uh, yeah, just really thankful for the time. So thank you so, uh, so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CCEF podcast, Stories from Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners. If you haven't yet purchased a copy of Mike Emlett's new book, our friends at Westminster Bookstore are offering a 50% off special to our podcast listeners. Just go to WTSbooks.com, add Saints, Suffers, and Sinners to your cart, and at checkout, use the code SSSPOD. Also, we want to say a special thank you to poor Bishop Hooper for all the music in this episode. The music is from their newest project, Every Psalm, in which they aim to release a psalm-based song each week for all 150 psalms. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the Majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is made? Be mindful of him, son of man, that you would take care of him with honor and glory. You crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. What is man that you be mindful of him, son of man, that you would take care of him with honor and glory? You crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. What is man that you be mindful of him, son of man that you would take care of him? With honor and glory, you crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. What is man that you be mindful of him, son of man that you would take care of him? With honor and glory, you crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands.